This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them.
morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're going to get things going here. We've got a lot to cram into this morning. So if you're in line for coffee, if you're grabbing food still, you're welcome to go ahead and do that. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and roll through a couple of announcements that we've got for you guys today. Starting with, I don't know if you guys noticed, but every time I turn around, there's an extra Hankins in this room, it seems like. And uh, we've got Josh here this morning. He's got an announcement for you guys today. Good morning, everyone. My name is Joshua Hankins. I'm the director of kids ministry here at Heritage. I have an exciting opportunity that I wanted to present to each of you. It's kind of a VIP thing. It's not even on the church website yet, so you're the first crowd to hear about this. This summer, we are going to be restarting kids ministry on Wednesday nights. Many of you probably know that for the last two years, we have been unable to actually pull summer kids ministry off on Wednesday nights because of COVID. Well, we are so excited to be bringing it back, and I wanted to come, with, come to you guys with an opportunity to walk through gospel evangelism with our children on Wednesday nights from June 1st all the way to August 10th. It's just a 10-week commitment. Let me tell you a little bit of what it's going to look like. We're going to have our first through fifth graders all together in the gym on Wednesday nights. It's going to be about an hour and 15 minutes. And every night is going to be focused on the gospel in a different nation around the world. So we've got two primary goals for our kids. First, we want them to hear the gospel. If they come every night, they're going to hear the gospel presented 10 times in 10 different ways. Second, we want our kids to learn the basics of gospel contextualization. So basically teaching them to be culturally sensitive as they share the good news of the gospel of Christ. So if you are interested in helping us work through some of these things with our first through fifth graders, I would love to hear from you. So grab a friend if you're looking for something to do for, uh, for the summer. I know many of you are probably going to stick around this summer. Please shoot me an email. Uh, I should also mention, we are also still looking for nursery and preschool volunteers. That's going to be a little bit of a more classroom setting, um, not as crazy big and exciting as our first through fifth grade program. So if you are interested, all the cool kids are going to be there. Um, like they're, chill, they're actually kids. It's kids ministry. So please come and uh, we would love to have you. Shoot me an email. You can find my email address at the church website. Again, my name is Joshua Hankins. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys. I would highly encourage you to check that out if you're available. It's such an awesome blessing to be able to work in children's ministry, um, just to be able to share the gospel with these uh, with these little people, to hear interesting questions that uh, your surprised kids of that age come up with. It's uh, it's always great. A few other things going on. As always, if you're not getting our text messages um, to know where and when small groups are happening throughout the week, uh, things that are coming up opportunities to be involved in. For example, I would imagine we're going to send out a reminder that if you're interested in signing up to help out with that over the summer, here's a link to do it. That's the kind of stuff that we put out throughout the week. You can text at HBConverge to 81010, and you'll just get a couple of texts from us throughout the week to remind you about what's going on. 
I mentioned the small groups a second ago. Those are still happening. We've got small groups that meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Just kind of to dig in a little bit more than we're able to in this room. So there's a lot of people in here. Uh, often we're covering a big passage with a lot of questions that we could dive into. And we don't really have time to do all that in here. So it's an opportunity to get together with a smaller group of people for a little bit more fellowship, a little bit more Bible study, just digging in on the text some more. And then also, there is a group on Fridays at 6.30 a.m. at the Ray's house, and that's specifically for junior, seniors, young professionals, people that are kind of like moving towards that next step in a big way. Um, so if that kind of fits the stage of life that you're at, I'd encourage you to check that out, uh, 6.30 a.m. Friday at the Ray's. Um, April 17th is our Hospitality Sunday. So that was mentioned before. Actually, I think we've got, I've got somebody that's going to help out with this announcement, right? Aha, there we go. Hey guys. So April 17th, Easter Sunday, is our Sunday to serve in hospitality. So it's very simple. You get there, you sign up, and then you show up at 828, and you serve both services. Um, if you sign up, you also get a t-shirt that you can keep if you want to. So it's very simple, you can sign up with some friends. I'll have the sign up sheet in the back and I hope that you all sign up to serve. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is such a great opportunity. It's a real easy thing to step into. You can open a door and smile at people. You can man one of the, the desks and help people find classrooms and answer questions about DCs. So there's different levels of involvement depending on how much you know or how much you're interested in learning uh, the day of. I'd encourage you to check that out. You can sign up this week and uh, you should be able to sign up next week as well if you're interested in helping out with that. Um, if we get a lot of people, then we can essentially man you know, every door in the entire church. And it's really cool when that's able to happen. So I'd encourage you to help out with that if you're available. Um, I would also encourage you to check out, is this just, do I, have to, I have to hit play, wow, to check out the hub, nope, never mind, it's not going to play anyway, to check out the hub at hbclynchburg.com slash hub for more information about things that are going on at the church, sometimes in this room, I don't know about you, I sometimes don't even make it like into the announcement portion of the, the first service here. So if you want to know what's going on, if you don't want to be left out and things the church is doing, I encourage you to check out the hub, hbclynchburg.com slash hub. Um, another thing that's coming up here in the near future, April 13th, there's going to be a prayer gathering time for leaders. You can get more info from that about that at hbclynchburg.com slash events. That's going to be April 13th at 6.45 p.m., and then another opportunity for prayer right now that I would really encourage you to check out. Um, this is Ramadan. Uh, Ramadan started yesterday, and that is the, the holiest holiday on the Muslim calendar. So there are a lot of people that are just seeking after God in these desperate ways that don't lead to truth. So this is a great time to be praying for, for God to move in these people's hearts put people in their lives, maybe to put you in someone's life, to share the gospel with them in a way that they may never have heard it before. 
And this is also a time where there's so much more open. Muslim people in general are so much more open to dreams and signs and visions. And I don't know if you guys know this, but God tends to send those specifically to these people groups. It's, it's amazing. So I'd encourage you to be praying for the Muslim world specifically this time. If you want some more information about how you can be doing that, prayer prompts and, and things to help you out each day. Um, you know, if you're not very familiar with the culture or if you're familiar with one subculture, and there's so many different Muslim cultures across the world, um, you can go to uh, hbclynchburg.com events, but that's going to tell you to go to prayercast.com or 30daysofprayer.com. So both of those are resources that have, I know uh, PrayerCast has just like a, a two to five minute video every day with specific prayer prompts and things that you can be keeping in mind in your prayers if you're not sure how to pray for these people groups. So I would encourage you to check that out. Kind of along those lines, actually, um, there were a few people from here and from Heritage in general that were able recently to, uh, to take an intentional trip to uh, D.C., to reach out to Muslim people. Um, so Dave, do you wanna come up here and introduce this? I can double mic it. There we go. Um, guys, I wanted to take this time where we usually have some game or we take some time to worship together and we wanted to update you guys on something that a few of us were able to do uh, a couple of weeks ago some people were on spring break and we we got out of town and we went up to the dc metro area and we went through four uh, days of pretty intensive training uh, and also mixed with that some very practical opportunities to uh, to engage Muslims, among other people groups, but, but specifically Muslims um, in the D.C. metro area, which the area that we were in was Alexandria, Annandale, Falls Church, kind of that, um, I guess, western, southwestern side of D.C., and it was like going into another culture. I don't know how much time you've spent around there, but, but lots of buildings with... Um, Korean writing or um, Arabic script or different things on the building. So it was it was a very multicultural experience that we had. So we were let's let's see if I can get some pictures here. We were in D.C., so not actually D.C. proper, but that's the this is the picture we used to promote the trip. So I was hoping to jog some memories with it while we get started. Uh, we had a one time of training here in Lynchburg, here at Heritage, before we left. And our group of 15 were able to actually interact with some, some ladies who are um, Afghan. They have moved here and, and they are Muslim. They came here to kind of introduce us to a little bit of some cultural stuff that we were able to use as we engage just kind of in a sensitive sort of way, right? Not that we're um, trying to shed everything that is us, but we wanted to engage them in a way that made sense. So we were getting some training here, and then we, uh, we went to this area, all 15 of us traveling up, and stayed in a huge Airbnb where we could all be, we call it the mansion, we, we could all be in the same place and, and debrief and pray over our days in the morning, all in the same place. 
Um, and so I've asked actually uh, three people to come up and share little bits of what was going on. And I think Catherine's going to be first because the first picture that I have up here is of a mosque that we went to go visit. And from what I understand, that's something that Catherine wants to tell you about. Is that right? Good. All right. So we got a few pictures of some things that we did. And, uh, and here's the entryway to the mosque that we got to go visit. You can see the spire over to the right side of the picture. And then here is us, our group, standing in the entryway of the mosque with the imam and our tour guide. Our, the imam is here on the far left, and our tour guide is in the black coat on the almost to the far right. Hello again. So um, we got to go on a mosque on our full, first full day there. Uh, and they gave us a brief tour of the building and then took us into the library for a little some questions that, and they would answer them for us. And then about halfway through the questions, they started their prayer time and they wanted us to observe and be involved in their prayer time. So they separated the men and the women. The men went to where the men go and the women got to go up to the balcony where they do their prayer time. And all the chairs at the back of the room where we would have sat were all full. So we, our 10 women that we had with us, we all were on the floor surrounded by Muslim women praying. And this was a very um, spiritually awakening moment, uh, specifically for prayer. Uh, just seeing all those women praying something that they're just reciting. They don't even understand what they're saying. Um, it gave a whole new understanding of prayer and uh, deepened my prayer life specifically. Um, but it also gave more intentional things to pray about. Uh, we hear all these different things. We learn all these different things about the Muslim culture and just Muslim faith in general. But also just seeing it in person made it so much more real and made it more interesting to pray about and more intentional. But I would highly recommend that everybody go on this trip just for the cultural awareness that you learn through the training, but also just the people you get to talk to and the whole trip in general. Thanks. So it became um, an important part of our trip to, to pray over the events that we were going to be a part of those days, uh, to pray together uh, over the people that we met, um, to lift their names up personally to the Lord. And so I think Kylie wants to come and tell us a little bit about some of the prayer time and how she was influenced in this trip. So there was a lot of times um, when we would be walking around and prayer walking, uh, which I had never done before. Um, and we would go to malls and we would go to um, like a downtown area that they have. Um, and there was a lot of times where we didn't feel led by the Lord to interact with them. Um, so we would end up praying for them. And it really helped me understand that... Um, the idea of planting seeds and how the Lord works through planted seeds. Um, 
So, and I'm like the kind of person that likes to see results. So it really made me take a step back and realize that the Lord um, has their life in his hands and I just have to allow them um, to be in his hands. And so um, being able to experience um, interacting with a different culture and then just learning about them and just the power of relationships because they're very um, welcoming and they love to be able to have just a conversation with you. And it's crazy how much it made me realize that like we're so busy like going to the next thing that we're not focusing on the here and now. And so they really helped me put a different perspective on how the Lord can use what you're doing now and not focusing on um, what is next, so. So I'm Christina. Um, also got to go on this trip with Josh and Dave and Lisa. Uh, we had an amazing time. Everybody should go. Like other people have said, like you should definitely go on a trip like this. Um, I think I really underestimated the impact that this trip would have. To be honest, just I thought it's kind of convenient. I hope it's good, but also like I. I don't even think I was fully, I was not fully prepared for what the Lord was doing. And um, as we got there and we got to have this amazing training that was really focused on giving tools to share the gospel with Muslims and understand the culture, but also on encouraging us to, like, about our, like, everybody has talked about prayer, and it was such a huge emphasis of our trip. Um, Praying, being in the Spirit, letting the Lord, the Holy Spirit lead you, and even though we have these tools that we learned, that it was not um, like a, a formula to share the gospel with Muslims, but it was, these were tools, but go in, in the Spirit and as He leads you, and um, just that, the confidence, even the confidence in our trainers that were like, you guys can do that, and, um, and then learning, sitting at training, and then going out and doing that practically was really, really powerful because it's easy to sit and theoretically talk about things, but then to go out and apply them. Um, and I, it was kind of hard sometimes, but really it, it was not as hard as I thought it would be. <laughs> like Kylie said, these people are so welcoming, and we literally inserted ourselves into groups of people that we didn't know over and over again and were welcomed and got to share um, the love of Christ with them over and over again. I did not expect that from this trip. I, I didn't expect us to have that kind of interaction. So that was a huge thing for me. And I, as coming back, I've learned really, my prayer life has been changed and I think forever. So to be really um, bold in what I pray for, specific, just learning like what the, like, Catherine said, going to the mosque and seeing the difference in how they're praying with no hope at all and how we have such a different access to the throne room of God to pray and he hears us and he works through our prayers and not to take that for granted. Um, and then the other thing that was really crazy just was kind of like scale. I mean, we, we hear that the nations are, you know, coming to us and we even see that in Lynchburg. But going there, it was so obvious that it kind of 
was a shock to see. It was everywhere we went, at internationals. Um, we, we got to go to a festival that had over 2,000 um, Afghans that were there, and that's just a small amount of the Afghans that live in that area. Um, I got to talk to our trainers yesterday, and they talked about going to a, um, a festival, a Persian festival with 10,000 people there in D.C. That's three hours from here that are Muslims that are just right here. They're really, really close. And so that, um, that was just a huge challenge to me to think about living on mission and um, looking around to see where um, the Lord has brought people here that we can reach out to. So, thank you, guys. I just wanted to share real quick that's it, it, it's so easy for me thinking about like to think about my own past and my own experiences and put that on other cultures I'd, I'd never been in a mosque before in my head I didn't even realize until I went to one that in my head I was picturing a mosque like a small Baptist church with pews and and uh, and you know carpet that people argue about and it's just a completely different experience it's just a wholly different culture and you know that muslim people pray five times a day and that they uh they point towards mecca and there's all these rules that they follow one thing that i wasn't really taking into account is by prayer what they mean is reciting a portion of the quran that most of them don't understand 13 percent of muslim people actually speak arabic but that's the only language that the Quran is allowed to be in. So there's some cultures that are a little bit more flexible with that. But for the most part, when you're praying, when, when a Muslim person is praying, they're reciting something that they don't understand. And they just have the words memorized. And uh, something that really just hit me so hard from the imam at the, the mosque there was we were asking a lot of questions about how the prayer worked. And it was very, it was a very clinical recitation. It was, we do three sets of this and we do three sets of that. And... Um, and one of the things that he said a couple of times was, yeah, well, you have to do it this way or it doesn't count. It's like our God that, uh, that knows everything about us, that formed us in the womb, that is constantly listening to us, that uh, is constantly interceding on our behalf. You know, that's something we talked about last semester, that Christ is our intercessor and the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. And all of our prayers are heard and listened to and count. And I don't always pray that way. So that was just so encouraging for me to, to come back from that trip. Thinking about the gift that that is and the, the luxury that that is and the closeness with God that uh, we forget we have. So I'd encourage you not to forget that and, and to pray like God's listening. Yeah. So you might be asking yourself, how does this affect me now? Well, the fortunate thing is with this trip, the accessibility that we have to this trip and this um, environment of training that's there with the, you know, the distance that's involved being three hours down the road and the cost is really minimal for it. This trip will happen at least one time next year from either the fall or the spring. Uh, maybe twice, but at least once we, we plan to see it happen. 
next year. So if you want to be a part of it, then you can be. So we'll keep, keep your ear to the ground. We'll make announcements in here. This is something that I would love for all of you to be a part of if you can. And we intend to see the group size be around that same 15 because we think that there's just maximum uh, interaction at that level with what we saw on this trip. But, uh, but we, might, we might stretch that a little bit here or there. But that's the idea is to keep it kind of at a small scale and get as many people as we can involved in going more often, not so much in like one giant group. Uh, a couple more pictures. Uh, we did get to enjoy the cuisine. This is, uh, this is an Afghan restaurant that we went to. We were supposed to, the, the way that the day looked typically was a time of training followed by go put it into practice. And in between, when you leave the training to go put it into practice, go find an ethnic restaurant among this people group that we're talking about today and interact with them. So we went and, and found, there were tons of restaurants. I mean, the, if I could show you, I don't have it up here, but if I could show you the map that our trainers made with all of the restaurants pinpointed, all of the hotspots for gathering places, malls and parks and so on and so forth. We, you, it just filled up the, the map for us to go just casually and intentionally, but, but to casually just meet people, not, not have preset meetings. And so when we got into this, we signed up for that kind of thing. Train, go interact with people, and maybe go hang door hanger packets on doors of people who just moved into the area. And to be honest with you, like from my perspective, I was like, that's really low contact that just doesn't seem strategic in like us getting some interaction with, with people. And, uh, but that's what they had been doing through COVID, and that's what some of the some of the real success in engaging people at the first level was to just get some information in their hands. As we were getting closer to the trip date, we were told, no, instead, we're going to take Saturday, and we're going to have ESL classes and mock job interviews for Afghans who have moved to the area. And we said, okay, that's, that's a lot more personal interaction. Let's go with that. And Okay, so what if most of us have never had a real job interview? We'll do a mock job interview, <laughs> and right? And so we were gonna. Um, I've had a real job interview, by the way, but <laughs> once, one time, I think. Um, but we we said, okay, that's that's something we can do. That gives us real personal interaction with it. And leading up to Saturday morning, we were told, guess what? This weekend we forgot about it, but this weekend is Afghan New Year. Noruz is what it's called, Afghan New Year, and nobody's going to come to our ESL classes and mock job interviews because it's New Year's weekend for the Afghan culture, and besides that, a local mosque is also having a job fair, so we basically got the rug pulled out from under us on that, and so they said, instead, we're going to go to a park, Christina mentioned it, we're going to go to a park where they're having a New Year's festival. There might only be 15 people there, but we're going to go. There weren't just 15 people there. It's hard to see in the picture, but this pavilion is actually the center of the festival. And packed inside this pavilion were hundreds of people enjoying music and dancing 
and just like the festivities of New Year's. And so there's thousands of people spread out. This is just looking one direction. There's an entire separate direction here. And people were everywhere. And this isn't just a like Muslim holiday, right? This isn't a Persian background holiday. This is an Afghan New Year. So predominantly, Everybody here was Afghans. Maybe not every single, I did meet, meet one Pakistani, but, but most people were Afghan here. And so we were just dropped right into a cross-cultural experience. And I know a lot of you have cross-cultural experiences in your background. Some of you don't. And to be able to go three hours away and have a completely immersive cross-cultural experience is a phenomenal blessing to people who, you know, haven't ever had that before. So we were able to walk into this park, just a normal park that had been reserved for this activity and be surrounded by smells, sounds, voices of different languages, music. The entire thing was an immersive cultural experience like any that you've had in any other country that you've been to. And it was just three hours away. And I can't promise that if you go on this trip next year that you're going to have the same immersive experience. But I can promise that you'll have interactions with international people. And I can promise that when you learn some tools to engage people that start with small talk and end with telling them about Jesus stories, that you'll have opportunities to do that. And it may not go the whole route. It may be like Ahmed that I met and, and I just engaged him a little bit and then prayed, told him that I would pray for him and that I was going to pray because I'm a Jesus follower. And so you just introduce Jesus and you begin to unsettle the ground a little bit in this planting process. Or it may be like Nate Calhoun had an experience. He's not a part of Converge, but he went on this trip and he was carrying around a gospel of Luke that was that was a stat that was designed to be um, what they call an injil. So, so another form of scripture that would be appropriate for Muslims to read. Like they read the Bible. Okay, they know parts of. Well, they don't really read it, but they they accept parts of the Bible, right? Uh, and so he was carrying this around and walked up to. We were in the mall. He walked up to one of those kiosks that sell um, cell phone cases you know, otter boxes and a thousand other knockoff otter boxes. And he just was actually asking about a case for his phone. Now, he had some thought that maybe this would venture into a conversation, but he was going to work his way there. Small talk. Let's talk about your phone cases. And then let's talk about you as an individual. Like, where are you from? And let's just get to know each other. And then maybe, as God allows, we'll get to some spiritual things. And as he asked about the phone case, this Turkish young man named Muhammad said, what's that you got? And Nate said, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> that's, that's actually how he related to us, except he's got a really thick country accent, Southern. He's from, uh, from Louisiana and it's really, it's really thick. So he's relaying this story and they stood at the cell phone case kiosk for two hours. And he came back 
with an opportunity to have over, over a distance on FaceTime to have a regular Bible study with this young guy who's searching. I can't promise that you'll get that experience, but I can promise that if you don't go on a trip like this, you, you won't get that experience, right? So putting yourself out there and allowing God to work, and I'll admit, I'll admit my hesitation. When I'm walking into a mall and thinking, okay, I gotta find somebody to talk to, like, there's a lot of pressure there. I don't know if you've felt that. Sometimes I even build up a guilt on myself of, of what, if I don't do this, I'm just, I'm worthless or something. But if you can get a hold of the fact that you have the hope that people are looking for and you know how they can also find it. And if you can engage people with that mindset, fueling it, then some of those walls break down. And it does take a lot of prayer. And it does take interacting with people and seeing faces. One of the, one of the ways that I described it going into that park was that you've, you've heard of the masses of people coming to the U.S., especially in the last eight months from Afghanistan. And they're really faceless masses. And we were thrown into an experience where those masses now had faces. And you saw them. And we went to the mosque and we saw, we saw faces of people who, without a change in direction, will go to hell one day. And I looked at a young boy who was modeling his prayer after what his dad was doing, and I thought about my son. And I thought about what would happen if nobody gets a chance to speak to this little boy. And my son is, is blessed to be here and here right now. He's hearing about God's word from Joshua, who was up here a few minutes ago. He's hearing about Jesus. And this little boy is just modeling the formula of religion after his dad. Guys, the, the nations are here. They're not that far away. That's a day trip to get to that area. And, and you don't even have to go that far. They're here in Lynchburg, too. You just have to be observant, and you have to be willing to let your guard down. But if you do, there's a reward for for engaging people with the truth of the gospel. I would encourage you to consider it. We're, we're aiming at uh, fall break or spring break of next year to try to have a, a repeat of this trip. And I think it would be really valuable if you have a chance. One last picture. This was the team that went at the doorway of our mansion and uh, just thought you'd like to see some faces there. All right. We've been in the Gospel of John, and we've made it to chapter 6. We're actually at the middle of chapter 6. We're going to finish chapter 6 today. It's a pretty sizable passage, but hey, that's the norm for us around here sometimes, right? So we're going um, to actually read all the way through the end of chapter 6, Whoops, starting... In verse 22, so 22 to 71. 
If you'll bear with me, I'll try to read it in a way that will allow you to interact with the text. If you want to read along with me, you can. If you want to listen um, or even close your eyes and just, just try to take in what, um, what's going on here in this passage, that's fine. We're going to start in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can do it? Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if, I, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It was a massive passage of scripture, but, it, but it's one kind of big event that takes place. Now understand where we're coming from, okay? We've just been the last two weeks previous to this, but it sets the stage for the interaction that's going to take place here. We saw the feeding of the 5,000, right? I mean, what other, I just jumped to a little bit farther down. I'm like, what other kind of sign were people looking for, right? They just watched. These were the actual people who chased after Jesus because they saw that happen. They saw him take food and multiply it to feed 5,000 plus people. So then we saw last week that uh, when Jesus left, he walked on the water to meet his disciples. And so that's kind of a, um, 
a movement out of the interaction between the people, the general population of Israel, and now the disciples. But now the general population of Israel that was there for that, they're now seeking him. And they're seeking him intently. They want to see this happen again. They want to keep getting food, right? I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't know what your interaction with, um, with Jesus is on a regular basis, but I think if we're honest, then when we, well, I guess there's really two responses to this, but, but we'll go with one and then I'll explain the other. A lot of times when, when we begin to see answers to prayer or good things happen, then we're motivated to pursue more. Yeah, there's just a, we find value in it that maybe we didn't always because we're human and that's how we gauge things. Sometimes we begin to get full of ourselves and we think, oh, things are going great. And so we kind of let our guard down and we just kind of revel in it a little bit. And so that is the opposite. So that's where I said there's sort of two responses that people have. But these people followed that first response. They got something out of their pursuit of Jesus and they wanted more. But Jesus does not hold back on his interaction with them, and he immediately says, you're here for the food, you're not here for me. I actually, uh, I actually read John chapter 6 as part of my, as my Bible reading one morning when we were in D.C., and it was, it was kind of startling. to You read these sections of Scripture. If we had just pulled out the end of John chapter 6, there's a lot for us to talk about, but to, but to see just how much it correlates with the rest of John chapter 6, it was very challenging to me to, to look inside myself a little bit and say, how many times do I go to Jesus for what he gives instead of simply for, for just who he is? And so as we're going through this, I, I, I would love for you to ask yourself that same question. How often do you go to Jesus? How much of this walk with Christ, this religious experience that you are having, how much of that is because you want a return on the investment? And, how, and, and then how much is it a genuine pursuit of Jesus? And Paul talks about laying aside all these things and considering all of it as rubbish for the sake of the knowledge of Christ. And I, think I, I think I fail to do that a lot of times. And so when you see these people who, they jumped on boats to cross the lake to get to where Jesus could possibly be in order to get more of the blessing that, was, that they had just experienced. So, I mean, we're not just, this isn't purely casual. I mean, I don't know what else they had going on in their lives, but, but they put out some effort to get to where Jesus was. And Jesus, he, he just spoke so clearly to them to say that you're here, you're here because you, because you got your fill of the loaves. He actually starts it by saying, You're, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you got your fill of loaves. 
there are things that, that Jesus was doing among the people there to, to raise their awareness of the Messiah in their presence. Right? The signs were there to point to who Jesus was. And they saw, they saw it, right? I mean, they saw him feed 5,000 plus people with just a little lunch. They saw it and they missed the point. The same thing happens to us. We see Jesus at work. We see God do things in our lives and we miss the point. I, I feel like there must be a laundry list of times where God has actively intervened in my life and I naively chalked it up to coincidence. Instead of having an opportunity to worship my God for his intimate love for me. They saw the signs, but they didn't come because they saw the signs. They saw, they came rather because they got their fill of the loaves. Their response to this as Jesus was getting into this discussion, and, and granted, there are some crazy hard things said here, right? Things that, that we can almost dismiss because we're this far removed from the events and we've read more of the scripture than what they had uh, even available to do. And, and so we kind of don't blink when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I can imagine that was a hard thing for them to hear, right? I mean, if I came in and said that to you, you might blink, right? But we read it here and we're like, oh, yeah, figurative, it's fine, right? Um, and, and Jesus, though, this is, that's really hard language. How does that relate? Like, what is this, what is this supposed to mean? And even now we read it and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 it's figurative and think about Eucharist or, or communion and, you know, blood and flesh and it's no big deal, right? But that wasn't part of the conversation. Like there wasn't the Lord's Supper before the Lord's Supper, right? So there's really hard language going on here. But before he even gets into that, their response was, see if I can find the, the verse here real quick. Verse 28. Their response was, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What do we need to do? Coming right off of our conversation about Muslims that we were able to interact with, there's a lot of what must we do in the language. And Jesus' response is, the works that you need to do is believe on me. So we have this separation of understanding where you think, okay, I, I just I need to put something else into the system so I can do something to be able to achieve this. And Jesus says, this is the work from God that you believe in him who he sent. I think it's easy also for us to settle into a doing and miss the part about being and believing. Can you see that in your life? That, that we, 
especially if you're task-oriented. How many of you would, would kind of claim being task-oriented people? All right, there's a few sheepish hands in the room. Okay, no shame. I'm not particularly task-oriented, and it drives my wife nuts. So, you know, she is task-oriented, and, you know, we get along really well together to get things done in different ways. But there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I think that it does potentially offer us this this knee-jerk reaction, this settling into what do I need to do to get there? And Jesus is saying, got to believe. And then after, after we do, after we become believers, right, and followers of Jesus, and we're actively pursuing him, so now we're jumping ahead a little bit here. After that, sometimes we still settle into, so what do I need to do? To please you, God. And in fact, the doing should flow from the joy of the believing and the being in Jesus. So I think we I think we settle into to a doing mentality. So I would challenge you. Think about like what does it mean this work versus believe? And don't settle, don't settle for what you can accomplish. When Jesus has accomplished it, and we can enjoy his grace, we want you to be who he has made you to be, and to enjoy the relationship that he offers you in that. So Jesus says, I'm, I'm the bread, I'm the one, okay? It's me who you need to believe. And, and their response, well, he hasn't even gotten to the bread part. We haven't even gotten to the really hard part. The response to you just need to believe is basically prove it, right? What works are you going to do? And that's where I say to them from here, from my safe spot 2,000 years later, have you not seen enough? Right? I mean, anybody else? Am I just the cold-hearted one that I feel like? I feel like they just witnessed some things, right? They're going to witness some more, but they—they're saying, "We'll prove it." And I think they've got an angle because do you see what their example of proving it would be? More food, right? They've got an angle here. They came for food. Jesus said, "You're coming for the wrong thing." They said, "Well, prove who you are by giving us more food." Our fathers ate manna. Daily, maybe, maybe that's kind of the point they're trying to make. Like, that was daily. You did once. And Jesus said, it wasn't, it wasn't Moses that got you that. It was my father. And now he sent something better. And that's when we get to this bread of life talk. And Jesus has to basically wreck their minds, right, of this, what does it mean? What does it mean to eat flesh and drink blood? What, does, what are you talking about? How do we understand that? And, and there's, there's just got to be a truth here that some of the things Jesus was saying, were, was going, they were going to be intentionally divisive because he already knew the hearts of men. Some of these hard things, I would like to think, would intrigue people and draw them in if they were already being drawn to Jesus by the Father. 
right? I don't know what he means by eat his flesh and drink his blood, but let me see more. Whereas what we see by, from these people is that the alternative response is, this is just getting too weird. We'll buy our own lunch. I know that that is, has got to be a confusing thing, and it's, and it's got to have divided the people among those lines. And that's really what we see at the end, is that Jesus did a, a dividing work among the followers that he had amassed while he was traveling around so far. He, he said some things that, that put them on edge and made a bunch of them walk away. He then turns to his own disciples, the 12. This is one of the first times that we actually hear the, tw- the 12 mentioned. He turns to the 12 and he says, in essence, you're not going to walk away too, are you? Is this too much for you? And Peter, in a moment of brilliance, which comes occasionally but not all the time, right, says, where else are we going to go? Guys, there are some hard things that Jesus says. Things that we can't tease out in 35 minutes in this room. Things that maybe, maybe we leave unsettled for a long time because we just, there are mysterious things of God that need to remain God's. And it may, it may find you in this place of saying, oh, this is, this is difficult. But guys, I would challenge you to find in Jesus the source of the joy and peace and hope, even if you have to trust him with not knowing all the answers. And that you would respond like Peter saying, where else are we going to go? You've got, you've got the words of life. There are a lot of things that fight for your attention and your affections. You can probably list four or five without, you know, thinking too much on things that distract you from really following Jesus, from, from deeply engaging in what he's got for you, for saying yes to, the, to that thing that he's calling you to do that you've been resistant to, you've got reasons that are out there. There's distractions. There's a whole list of things like pros and cons to, to maybe I'm not going to do. But you know, you know that there are some things that, that he would have you to do. There's, there's a whole list of reasons. And what I'm going to tell you this morning, though, is that it would be worth it if you laid down those reasons and found Jesus to be the holder of the words of life. That you would find your joy and your hope in him. So you would find security in him. One of, the pa- one of the parts of this passage that I've had to breeze by a little bit um, is Jesus saying that all those who come to me, I will never let go of. And there's this whole talk about those that, those that come, come because the Father gives them, right? All the Father gives to Jesus will come. 
and all who come will never be cast out. And everyone who looks to Jesus and believes will have eternal life. And no one, but no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. But whoever feeds on me will live. And there's this, there's this two sides of this coin that can, that can leave us in, um, I don't know, arguments that we could have at the table here on how exactly this works. But if you're, if you're drawn to Jesus, then you can come and never be cast out. If you worry about whether you did it right, because I've been there, I spent a long time there. Everyone who looks to Jesus and believes will have eternal life. There's security in Jesus. Those that are drawn by the Father find security in Jesus, and whoever feeds on him will live. Guys, where else would we go? Jesus has the words of life. Got a few questions for you as we wrap up. Things that we can talk about in small groups this week, um, but hopefully they'll, they'll lay out a little bit of what we've been talking about here. How often do you go to Jesus for what he gives rather than who he is? So I, I mentioned this question early on in, um, in our discussion here, but I really want you to process that. How often, if you, if you can take the blinders off and kind of be introspective just a little bit, what are your motives? What are your motives? How often do you go to Jesus for what he gives rather than, I did it again, rather than who he is? How secure do you feel in your salvation? Is this something that you struggle with? If you do, you're, you're not strange. That's very common. But I would, I would say to you that Jesus holds you securely because those who come to him will never be cast out. This is the question that Jesus asked his own disciples. Uh, a long time ago, I was, um, I was challenged by a guy who was in the church that I was attending who had regular neighborhood Bible studies, which um, was a new kind of stretching concept for me to think about, like having these regular Bible studies. And he would, he would always start with asking for a six-week commitment. And he would go through the first six chapters of John. And he said that it's because at the end of John chapter 6, they're faced with a decision. So if you're ever wondering how to engage somebody in scripture, maybe this is something you could study out and see how, how the stories of Jesus progress to this point in John chapter 6, where everybody who reads it and everybody who was present at the time is faced with a decision. Do you want to walk away or do you want to go deep? And so my question to you is, we've made it now through John chapter 6. Where are you at? Do you want to go away? Or, and maybe the way Jesus phrased it a little bit more clearly is, you, you don't want to go away, do you? Right? Let's presume that you want to stay with this. But you need to ask the question, is this formula is it something you've done out of routine or are you, are you ready to pursue Jesus? Do you want to go away as well?
And then the question that we've asked pretty much every week is, for what type of person is this good news and why? So you might think of the person that you come into contact with that's really just struggling with, can I do enough to get God's favor? And you can say, look, Jesus says right here, the work that you have to do is to believe on the one God sent. Here it is. Maybe it's the person that's, that's struggling with some of the, the hard things. And you can say, you know what? Some of these people struggle too. And, and what Peter, who was close and saw it all, his response was, where else are you going to get the words of life? So think about what type of person this is good news for so that, that you can use those opportunities that come your way. But specifically, why is this good news for you? Do you find yourself settling into a task-oriented religious system? Even though you would not say it out loud, like, I understand that, okay? And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put you into a box with this. I'm just saying this is, this is the reality that I see in my own life a lot, and I see it around me, is that we just settle in. If we're not actively pursuing Jesus in his grace and in the joy that he offers, we settle into a routine of religious practice. We don't find Jesus. We might find what Jesus gives, and that might bring us back, but we don't find Jesus. So, that's my challenge to you today. Why is this good news for you? Let's pray, and, uh, and then there is a group coming in after us today. I need a little bit of help um, with some rearrangement, but it's only the back row of tables. Every other table is staying out, but if we can just the back four tables, um, set those up and bring it, you can put them away over here. I can help with that, but um, just to let you know, we do have new connections happening here. That's the route to membership at Heritage Baptist Church, and Seth, I'm going to tell them. Seth's coming to new connections today. Seth's going to, hasn't, he's been so busy, so busy that he hasn't been able to do it. But Seth's coming to New Connections. Maybe you're coming with him and you can sit at the same table. That'd be good. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you have done. But Father, thank you more for Jesus and the gift that we have in him. In knowing him, following him, being able to find our joy and our peace and our hope, and our purpose in Jesus. Father, we're grateful for the work that you have done in so many lives in this room to reconcile us to yourself. I pray for, for those that maybe haven't experienced that yet, that, that are following some sort of religious routine, that they would find that it's, that it's those who believe in Jesus who look to him as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so Jesus would be raised up on the cross, and those who look to him can live. I pray that that would be true for everybody. Father, thank you for your grace in allowing us to be here today and to be in your word. Challenge us with your word and help us to find that person who needs to hear this, and we can tell them, come and see Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.